0: Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast with myself, Chris Tuck, and... Hello, it's Beverly Ann. Welcome. And we've got a special guest with us today, Curtis Powell. I'm hoping I've said your name correct. Please correct me if I haven't, because, you know, with a South East London accent, it doesn't come out all that well all of the time. (laughs) So welcome to the today's podcast. Now. I come across you, Curtis, on TikTok of all places because you talk openly about your work as a social care practitioner, an independent one, an advanced practitioner. What does that even mean in today's world?
1: Yes. So I remember when, when we're studying in university, they give us this chart that shows you the progression pathway of a social worker so it's not just social work they want us to grow in our experience and so you have experience advanced and then i think consultant professional i can't remember what they are now but um advanced meaning i will in my role because I, I do independent work and i work um for a local authority as well um and so i as an advanced practitioner i'm expected to know certain things take a lot more initiative handle potentially the most challenging cases, but also supervise other social workers or, in my team, family practitioners as well. Um, And just, um, I guess, their expectation is you know what you're doing most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, because no matter how experienced we get, there's a lot, there's things that we don't know about, and we always have to consult, but it's an expectation. In terms of independent, I also do some independent work um, where I can fit it in through an agency. And that will be around, say, viability assessments or parenting assessments. Um, but I'm very careful about how much of that I take on because it, you know, it will wipe us out, you know, the amount of work. Yeah.
0: How long have you been in your job, Curtis? How long have you done this kind of work? And how did you get into it in the first place?
1: Right. So for years uh you looking. I've been working with young people for about 22 years 20 24 years of course quote, quote 24 years um, officially before that um, in unofficially in youth clubs now I've worked a lot in the youth justice service as a youth justice practitioner and then you know my wife was just pushing me you know because it was difficult to get work mm-hmm. then because they wanted social workers, so about four about four years ago now, I qualified as a social worker. Um, but I've worked in various challenging um, environments to with young young offenders, which is the majority of my my working career. Um, court work in um, obviously the home visits and assessments, the risk analysis and, and stuff like that. Um, working with young people who are incarcerated on remand or whatnot um done a lot of work and then I fell into social work to be fair um so it was it was just uh, for me a progression because I'm always looking at my life as a ladder yeah having having previously never done that always just thought oh one day I'll just work it out but actually
0: <laughs> about
1: about 10 years ago I've thought look be progressive yeah um, and, and I thought looking sorry
0: have a plan
1: have a plan. I didn't have a plan for a long time, and so um, very good at what I do, but just stagnant. And, and decided to get that degree, and that's not looking down on anybody who doesn't do it because someone asked me the other day, "Would you encourage someone to be a social worker?" Mm-hmm. And I bit my lip, and I wasn't sure what to say, <laughs> and we all laughed about it. So, yeah, it's not for the faint.
0: No, it's hard job. Can you tell us what a typical day, a typical average day, would look like? Because I can, I just imagine it. Every day is different but there must be like typical jobs that you have to do in your work. What Mm. what does it look like?
1: Good question. Um, This is my- We're good at this
0: Curtis. You are, you are (laughs) very
1: good. So it depends what team you work in. I work in a child protection team. Previous to this, a few months ago, I worked in an assessment team in children's services. And then previous to that, I worked in child protection again. So a typical day would involve, let's say for example, now, this is what I do. I tend to organise myself. I do my visits all at, all at all at once. If I want to survive, <laughs> I do my visits in a day or two. Um, yeah. Which means I miss all my emails for a day or two. And I'm instantly 100 emails behind by the time I get around to it. Um, a typical day would be um, meeting a family I know and get on well with or meeting someone new. A typical day would be, um, if I'm out on visits, I speak to no one but families. And if I'm working from home, I'll be literally, uh, let's be real, let's be honest about it, um, convincing myself which task is the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And then deciding on one and then getting a phone call and then that task takes priority and then forgetting what I was doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if it's all right to be that that social work, it has to
0: be. Please do. Please be that honest. Because we want to sort of like explore your workload as well, because, you know, Bev and I are both survivors of child abuse and and neglect. Okay, Mm. so we have both had interventions with social care and social workers in the past. And the work that we do now, we know there are, fabulous social workers out there but we also know obviously in every sector of society every profession there's some not so good people mm. um they don't do what we would consider a uh the best job possible whereas mm. most do but there are always some that don't and yeah. there are always some that add to the problem um
1: yeah.
0: so i know from the work that i've done that Many statutory services, whether it be the police, social care, health, wherever, that the workload is um, too high.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Exhaustion is high. Um, Attrition rates of people leaving their sector is high. Um, Vicarious trauma is, you know, across the board. So self care is what Bev and I advocate all of the time, whether you're professional or just a survivor or both. So, with all of that in mind, You letting us know what your work like is actually like and the challenges that you face on a day to day basis would, I think, really open up some people's eyes and and really make us appreciate what you're actually dealing with, because you do as a a sector, a statutory service, get a lot of flack. We know that. Mm -hmm. So what is your answer to um, all of that that I've just put to you? (laughs)
1: Right. You know, it's interesting. I did a podcast and I think I'm going to redo it, seeing as you're triggering me to uh, some of these thoughts. Right. You've got good and bad social workers. I'm just trying to what's in my mind about what you asked. Um, Good and bad workers in every every sector. It just seems that bad nurses aren't called out or they're not noticed as bad. But social workers, definitely, because I think they hit a nerve. what happens is with the workload, as it is now, you're going to get good social workers doing badly. They're going to make mistakes, they're going to cut yeah. corners. It's the only way to do the job. So if I was to be honest about social work, I'm putting my neck on a block by saying this, but it, you know, has to be said. If I, you know, I'm worried that someone's going to go and, and, and order me um and so what i'm finding myself doing is doing what absolutely has to be done but there are gaps but then that is every sector of health and social care
2: absolutely
1: yeah absolutely so, sorry, go
2: on. i was going to say the other thing is as well is let's be frank here as well you're working at what we call the cold face. you know you've got dynamics here where um let's the family is breaking down or has broken down. There's abuse going on. There's lots of different things going on. And sometimes the social workers are expected to sort of literally come in with their super cape and find a way to solve it. And let's be honest, it's not always, there isn't always a solution that is a quick fix or a nice solution for everybody. You can only make the best best choices at that time with the information you have. So, as Chris mentioned, you know, I I was brought up in the care system. For me, I'm actually grateful for that. I say thank you because I am the woman I am today because of the good people in the children's homes. And that's not the norm for everybody. But the the downside was I got sent back home again. So I was under a court order from the age of four. Went into my first children's home to the age of ten, and then one day got this message oh, fantastic, you're going to be home with your family for Christmas. And that meant all six children going back to our mum and dad with no support. So for three years, I, had the, I was the main carer. And then we went back into care, which for me was fantastic. So we ca- I came from a very toxic, dysfunctional family. And I'm laughing because sometimes, even now as an adult, I look back and I think, wow, our, whatever our social workers – because we had two different ones, because some were under the borough of Bromley, some were under the borough of Croydon. I feel for those social workers because of some of the decisions they had to make. Yeah. But with hindsight, there's also some other questions that I wish the social workers were able to ask us as children that didn't happen. So I completely understand where you're coming from and it's yeah. good for, for people to understand that it's not a quick fix solution and there isn't a happy outcome all the time for everybody is there
1: no i guess there's something i addressed really early on when i started this podcast one of those things was the social pressure to go down a certain predetermined road that you don't agree with, but all the other professionals do. And you've done the work with the family. And so they can be bending. And I've been I've been subject to that a number of times, but I've bent twice, um, I haven't spoken about this yet, but I've bent twice to do something that I didn't think was right. That was uh, to take a family to the court, pre-proceedings the court process to take children. And I thought there's no need for that, but everybody around had a narrative. And I think that sometimes we are, no, we are always subject to a dominant culture and at times it will come out and that culture will say things that are not right Mm -hmm. Um, and perceive families in a certain way and you will facilitate that as a social worker you've got to be prepared to look like the outcast like you look look, look stupid look like you don't know what you're talking about if you're going to really do justice to a situation Mm -hmm. and some social I think probably most social workers were just bent you know and because
0: of the powerful dynamic around you, Curtis, is that what you're saying?
1: I've seen it, and I've been a victim of it. and I remember wow. the time I did it, it was a case of people were questioning me in a strategy meeting um I knew what 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 actually happened was I knew they were talking about me outside of it, yeah, mm-hmm. it was about four professionals um two of whom, sorry, five professionals, two of whom were nothing to do with the case. And I found out that they were talking about me. And what happened was, is they made out that I was, you just don't understand risk and harm. Actually I do. Yeah. Um, but I can see that there's some risk that can be managed and some that can't, but sometimes when people cross a threshold in their mind of their 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 constructs would say, look, we need to get these kids out of the family. And I'm like, let's remember, separation trauma is is a killer. Right. And so I was pressured to and I and I was very conscious of that pressure to make a decision that everybody else had made. Um and we prepared to remove the child from the family when we really didn't need to. Yeah.
0: But I think f- for me, listening to what you were saying on some of your TikTok videos when you were talking about this separation trauma is mm-hmm. that social care as a profession you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and I think it's a real it is your education your training that allows you to make these the right decision by the child and young person and or the family if it's not abusive and neglectful because Mm -hmm. I would assume in those situations if the parents are given the opportunity to um to make improvements, and they don't follow through, then that child or children will be removed, because they've had every chance. And at the end of the day, we are all about child protection. Um, For me, Curtis, what happened in my situation, and I know I'm talking 30 years ago, but I still see it and hear it happening mm-hmm. now, Um, is that my dad was put into prison when I was 11 and I was living with my stepmom, who was very abusive my mum was going through the family courts to get custody she did get custody um but then the social workers who were involved in our case all the way through that time they sort of like rubbed their hands together as if you know oh right okay we dealt with that clap we can walk away because they thought that they had placed us with my mum and my stepdad and everything was hunky-dory. But then another cycle of abuse happened and there was no uh, connection with the um, social care because they'd walked away, thought they'd done a good job. And then anything that we we wanted to disclose as abuse, we didn't because every time we'd spoken up in the previous five years, we weren't believed so it almost silenced us and we had no ongoing protection so it it is it's just a minefield this whole social care um you know and as i said you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and with your case le- levels at a high and you're saying um right at the beginning of this podcast that you literally make a decision to do something and then you start doing that and then something else happens and takes priority things do get left and and children cases get dropped how do you handle all of that Um, morally
1: I mean everyone's different I mean you you, we're talking about personalities the the trauma-informed way that we function in society and we're looking at culture Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know everyone is a social worker for their own reasons Yes. So there are some people out there who are doing it because it's the next progression and that's it. And then there are some people out there that haven't got lived experience to understand what we call common sense, but the dynamic of making certain decisions in the best interest of the child. So I will always push to keep the family taking over. And what that does is that I have to put in extra work. Now the reality of that, I podcast, it's funny, we're talking about everything I've spoken about, but the reality yeah. of that is that when you do the work, you're going to suffer somewhere. So I've made that decision already. I know I'm done. I know that if I, there were some families when I worked in the assessment team, just to get them over the line, my work, my time scales were messed up. So I failed in other areas and right. it looked bad on me. When I'm in the office. Yeah. The only thing that they care about is the numbers, right? Yeah. Um, And the timescales. But when I'm doing my job, they don't see that. It doesn't matter how well you write an assessment, they don't see that. But I've saved some families from going through the system because I've put in the work. Now I'm a bad social worker to my colleagues and now I'm failing other families. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I'm not asking the government for anything because they have nothing to give. And I'm not criticizing them. Sorry, carry on, sorry.
2: No, what I was going to say is, you know, I completely hear you. And I, in 14 years, I had 13 social workers. And Mm. I can't remember all of their names, but some of those social workers were really good and they stood out. The Mm. others, they weren't bad, but they're not memorable. Mm. And that's the easy way to say that. They're not memorable. Mm. And listening to you, Curtis, and, and seeing your podcast, what I have gained from from you is you came, you come along with some lived experience, not necessarily for yourself, but you didn't leave school, go to university and, and become a social worker and no disrespect to any young person doing that either, but yeah. when you've got experience in different areas, you bring that with you, which gives you a whole different dynamic yeah. but it's really interesting to hear what you're saying because you're obviously very passionate about what you do and so, in one way, you're doing the role that you really want to do, and you're following your passion. But from a colleague perspective, you're not you you're not ticking the boxes, you're not getting the scores in. Now, mm. how would you like to see that change going forward? If I had a
1: magic wand, you know, it's it, this is a good question. I don't think it's all about social work because I think that there are people out there that do more important work. I think that. Um, the work is is uh, sorry. Can you hear music in the background? No, it's uh, okay. The, yeah, um, <laughs> my daughter doing her thing. Um, I think the answer is we need to have ten times as many youth workers and family practitioners. I don't think it's about social workers. What we as social workers really are are um, on a like on a lizard. It can lose its tail, like a crab can lose its claw, when things go wrong. That's what a social worker is. We're that disposable yeah. limb. When things like Victoria Columbia happen, it's the yeah. social worker to divert all the energy away from the people who are really decision makers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So so I know what I am as a social worker. Um, I'm a liability to myself and to government at some point. What we if we were looking at, so I, I know my limits. I'm going to tick legal boxes and meet the judge and represent. That's really my role. When it comes to doing the work, the true original social work, which was which fell short back in the day, it fell short for you all. It's along, it's, it's come a long way, but it's still got gaps. But back in the day, social work was just visits and giving advice. The people who need to do practical work are the family practitioners and the youth workers. I had a conversation yesterday with a colleague and. Um, she was talking about, and this is it, I've worked in this field for, for so long. She was talking about a 16-year-old who keeps going missing, he's always caught with a knife, he's on probation, and he's not stopping. And I said, you know what? Um I've worked with these young people so much. I know so many people who could help him absolutely turn this boy around, but he's not funding. Yeah. I the social worker is going to turn up to the meetings and and talk about risk and harm and everyone's going to represent but he's like my wife says because she works in a similar field all all those hours of meetings are nothing
2: yeah absolutely with you yeah and that's where as we mentioned earlier we've had batima whitbread coming on um and she's launched Fatima's UK campaign because what she wants to do, like you say, is, is open it up so there's more support and it's it's not just on, you know, one person. So when so children have, or young people, have a lot more opportunities to get support from other people because it's not just one area, though, is it? Because, like you said, it's a, a youth worker. It's um, employment opportunities. It's sports opportunities. It's, it's not just one area. It's making sure that there's lots of different opportunities, but we're also not fearful because there's a lot of fear, isn't there, around, you know, children in care, children that have been through the justice system. There's a lot of, all oh, you know, what kind of person are they, you know. And there's lots of judgment. Whereas actually, let's start speaking to that young person. Let's get behind them. Let's see what's happening. You know, and let's ask questions within the family. Because you must have a success story, Curtis, or some good stories about mm. what you do. Are you able to share anything? Obviously, no um, names.
1: This this is what the this, this is the type of question you get asked in an interview, actually. So it's interesting. I could know <laughs> my, um yeah, we're offering you a job at the
0: end of this. Say again? <laughs> we're offering you a job at the end of this, if you pass. <laughs> right.
1: Okay. Let me let me think. Um, success stories. I can give you two. And I don't know if they're success stories, but there is success there. Um, so there was one young man I was working with. He was 17 at the time. Uh, in care. wasn't, And it was interesting. The backstory is he's mixed race. His dad's black, his dad's not really been there, but he's in contact with his dad. He's not allowed around his mum because of an incident, so the police have bailed him away from now, which is which creates massive problems
0: mm-hmm, because they yeah. been
1: for so long and then they're like, they're out there in care and they've not had anything resolved yeah. anyway. So working with him, he has to go to court um, for possession of cannabis or something like that. It's clear that he's involved with elders. Old- he has no self-esteem. He's yeah. the sweetest boy he ever met, but he's the kind of child that will go to jail for murder because he yeah. was stabbed, right? Um, I put in the work. It was I, this was in the youth youth justice service. I put in the work. Um, the work was meeting him like three, four days a week. Now he lived about twenty five. I lived twenty five miles from where he lives, so it's a lot of work to drive in yeah. and drive yeah um and it was doing some kind of reflective uh stroke there i had to be a therapist i had to he had a girlfriend he had put it this way he had never left his area never i i i want you to understand like i live in south london let's say i lived in Streatham yeah he had never at 17 never left Streatham. yeah 17 now uh, the, the thought of say let's get on a train and go to central London would freak him out. Yeah. Um... But what happened was, one day I uh, I called his girlfriend in and I said like, right, well let's let's all have a conversation. This is not in my job, really. No. You no. Know? Um, let's have a conversation. Um, I'm going to what we call um, when they fail to turn up to if they fail to come to appointments. Then we have to breach them which means they go back to court and then the court enhances the, the sentence and i've got him to cry <laughs> got him to cry it sounds
0: really mean but it's not
1: i've got him to cry because i'm trying to get him because he says i don't like talking i don't like talking about yes. but i know that's the only way forward for him mm-hmm. so he starts doing it he starts to cry his girlfriend's crying as well and after that, he just came to all the appointments. Did he turn his life around? I left. Um, and this is the problem with getting real close. Yeah. Is that one day he's got to stop and he doesn't know what to do and he's, he's gone to jail, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think young people going to jail in this country isn't the worst thing. I think that it's a good wake-up call for them and, and there's interventions for them, but it means that they have to do it. So I, I'm not against that. In, in for England, you know, um, it can have drawbacks. But for him, he needed that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think the other, and I say that as a success because we he now has an, had an experience of I need to talk. Hopefully, yes. but the other success story is this, and, and I'm going to throw a lot here, I'm not going to be too long on it, but working with a family. Yes. On paper multiple child protection uh accounts of the year about three or four four five children um if you listen to the way that other people break down a case you fail a family i'm just giving you advice you've got to just know that family for yourself and trust yourself and although i read their account i take them as they are yes there'll be people around me saying curtis this family they've been like this she's a bit of a disguised compliance she's a bit of, but what they're really telling me sometimes is they don't know how to tackle yes do you know what I mean and so I'm like okay look let me see how we get on with this I'm getting on like a house on fire with this family and I found that mum was lying to me about all her success of how she'd been getting on in, in yeah. the meeting and when I found out she was lying I took her for a drive in my car and I said look uh, I need you to be honest with me because the next step we're going to call been yeah. serious she broke down and cried and her crying is important I'm not trying to make people cry I didn't know she would but she started to cry and said I hate my life yeah and I said to her so I'm not going to judge you let's take it one and I gave her one task and she's done she's been doing it for a long time now and it's interesting I just think we have to want to help
2: absolutely
1: is and- that what I'm trying
2: to say. <laughs> what I think's really what I'm hearing is, you know, obviously when my experience of being in care, being under court order, was years ago as well. But one thing I will say, much my mum had um six children, so she went from two young ones living at home to suddenly having six children at the age of ten and under with no support. Now, yeah. back then, I can tell you a different version. It was chaotic. You know, yeah. both parents were alcoholics. Um, yeah. They were never there. Um, however, as an adult looking back, I can see that what she really needed was support. She had all these <laughs> children and and had no idea. And as children, we were traumatised as well. So what's really great to hear is what, you're looking at the family as an entirety. And, you know, I can think of one or two of the good social workers that I had know they would connect they would find out ways one thing that's interesting is do you have to tell people that you're turning up or can you sometimes just turn up unannounced
1: with the family i'm talking to you about they've all been unannounced
2: yeah
1: that is agreed that is like we're laying this out i I will turn up to your house at any time yeah 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 and she's like yeah no problem they don't mind That, that that particular family though saying that everybody just walks through the door so that's easy okay yeah um but what it is is that there's more to just being unannounced the 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 thing about being unannounced is that you have to be honest and subject to the situation you're not role as such you have to be subject to social services work with us and then that, that that is a level of compliance and submission it doesn't sound right but it's important for them because there are issues that we need to address and we would only like I've had a call recently for a family that I was covering and they uh, my parents intoxicated so I turn up yeah but I turn up and I the way that my demeanor my communication it really does dispel a lot of the issues that they have with social workers and how I had one uh, recently was shouting at me on the phone I'm outside your house (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) When, we, when I finally got in the house, you put in the work, the, what do you call it, motivational interviewing, that motivational style, like, let them let off the steam, let them insult you. And at the end, she apologised, it happens all the time. They yeah. know when you're being a human being.
2: Absolutely. You
1: know, yeah. you're not treating well, you're, them like a paper. Yeah.
2: No, but what you're doing as well, you know, like with any good trauma work anyway, is you're coming to the person's, you know, where they are at that place. So you're allowing mm. them that space, to express themselves, even if it's not nice to hear, you're allowing it, and then it's like, okay, ready to hear you now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got to just say thank you, like for for sharing all of this, because there's so much behind, you know, smoke mirrors sort of thing. You know, having conversations about social work, etc. For some people, it's challenging. So To be able to break down these barriers and have this conversation is fantastic because it does help awareness. It doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change today or tomorrow, but it gives us an insight so we can start looking at what changes can be made. So if someone was to say to you about implementing changes, what changes would you like to see, Curtis?
1: Ooh, wow, good. Okay, so one of them is definitely, like I said earlier, we need to stop putting a focus on social workers and get the family practitioners out of there. Yeah. Let them do the groundwork. Yeah. Um, let's not just throw tasks at families. There are some families that will never change with just a social worker in their life. We need regular work, and then they can be weaned off into a pathway. Um, the other, I guess, is we've got to do something about the administration yeah we have to i'm looking at my computer and i'm like surely there's a quicker way to do this but i think when i look at the administration i think it's built around mitigating any blame making sure that um we cover things because we don't want to get sued um i think that we need to find a more efficient way of saying we've done the work with family I don't know what it looks like at this point but that's something on my mind mm. because it frees us up to 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 do more groundwork and, and more meaningful
2: yeah so Chris we lost you for a little while so Pertis and I carried on <laughs> so I is, yeah I I've realized but I kept quiet <laughs>
0: So, yes, yeah, so I don't know what's going on today. It's the gremlins are in the in the tech, <laughs> but
2: we we keep going.
0: Um, any was there any of those questions
2: that you were thinking about that you'd like to ask Curtis? Um, that you had written down at the beginning.
0: Yes, so let me just double check my list. I think you might have covered a lot of them. Just bear with me. So, myths and reality is around social care I don't know if you've covered this when I was um popping off (laughs) um there are a lot of survivors that we um are in touch with over social media and especially those who have gone through trauma in their formative years who have then had their children removed um later on in their lives when they've become parents and they all blame social care, social care, this, social care, that. They often feel that removal of children happens far too easily and happens far too often. But when I speak to my social care worker friends, they say, but we don't remove children on a whim. The system's not set up to do that. Um, so where is the the disparity?
1: Yeah, that is the question. <laughs>
0: Sorry, Curtis, no. I asked difficult questions.
1: <laughs> no, no, we need difficult questions. That is the question. We're dealing with a number of things here. Let's be honest about them. Some families were always going to fail. Some families were always going to neglect their children. And of those families, many of them believe they're doing just fine crazy all right so some of those families they never going to understand why we do what we do all right um some families are then misunderstood we've got people either in care abused not so trauma-informed about their lives and are now social workers easily triggered we could have snowflakey type of social workers who are easily offended i've worked with social workers who are afraid I've read assessments of social workers who are, you can tell they're afraid of the family. And so they cast in unfair judgments. Yeah, And so this is really going to get people's backs up. So you've got social workers making decisions that are based on, and if you've got a whole culture of that, you know, this is one of the reasons why social care does need to be more diverse ethnicity wise, because me, I'm a West Indian man, the way that I perceive risk isn't the same as, way as a, a white man or a white woman would, you know what I mean? Or an Asian, we're all seeing it different. That's why we need to have conversations like this. So I think that th- there's a number of things, but I think as a whole, the system is very good. This is as good as it can get. Yeah. The problem is, is that, and this is one of the things I've done. Um, like I say, when I say to social workers, do the work with the family, meaning face your fear. You're stepping into a home, a lot of hostility, whatever, fear. You have to explain extensively why this is happening. Yeah. I've seen it done very badly. So I've worked in a family where the home was severely neglected. Mum's a drug addict. Don't know where dad is. Five children. Feces in the house on the carpet. Yeah. She. The kids hate me. Wasn't my case. They're going to be removed in a few weeks' time.
2: Yeah.
1: Mum kind of got it, but the kids didn't. The work needs to be done you can't just pop children out so i think one of the biggest issues with social care is that social workers are afraid to talk to the clients yeah about why go deep why yeah you know and tell them go and fight for your kids afterwards
2: yeah absolutely absolutely and and that's let's be honest that's what happens a lot of the time anyway with the mm. fear factor and you know Chris and I host workshops sometimes within social care. People are unable to have the conversations that need to be had. And when you say about the children, you know that's their everyday reality. So when you say we're being taken, you're being taken now away from your your mum that you know and love. If it's not explained to them and given them time, they don't understand because you know I remember how my upbringing. I thought mine was normal. I thought that what I'd experienced wasn't traumatic up until I was in my early 30s, because it was my normal. Isn't that Mm -hmm. what goes on in other people's lives? So -hmm. you can understand, you know, children do need that time to be aware that there's, with support, that this is for your best interest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll just say I've worked with... Uh, families where children are going to be removed, and this is one that this is. I picked up my phone today to record this. I've been stewing on this for a while. Okay, um, you're going to have to prosecute a family. In effect, say, look, we're taking your children away, um, but also support them. Yeah. Simultaneously, which is that sounds yeah. impossible. To get them to trust you in the process, you've got to still do the visits and encourage them and let them know, you know, at the end of this case, we're taking your child because you can't do it. That is something I'm going to podcast on in a minute. Yeah.
0: Good. I Mm would listen to that one. What do you feel about the family court situation as well? Because obviously, oh, God, it's probably another podcast by itself, to be honest, Curtis, but the family courts when it comes to parental alienation, um, where um, we're seeing a lot of women from where we're sitting and the work that we deal with, where, um, where there's been sexual abuse, and the child has either disclosed it or shown it, parent, it's usually mum, then tries to stick up for the rights of the child, and then they're told through the court process that they shouldn't be highlighting this, because if they do, their children will be removed, and they will be put with the alleged perpetrator. And When I first heard that, I thought, that doesn't happen. But I know it's happened to at least 10 people that I personally know now in my circle. Um, So it is a thing and it is happening. So the actual court system, the family courts, because they're closed, we're, we're, we're seeing that this abuse is happening all over again against the parent who is just trying to stick up for the rights of the child and protect the child. You Have know, you come across that at all in your work?
1: Yeah. Well, well, this is it. It's an incredibly complex situation. It's it's like people are screaming in society, why are the rape, the conviction rates so low? Yeah. And like, well, how do you prove, this is a type of crime. How do you prove this? Mm. She said, yes. I said, no. She, he touched my child. My child told me, therefore my child's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly complex. The reason why it's conviction rate so low is because the, the nature of what we're talking about is difficult to prove, yeah. and so we're moving towards now, which is a problem: is guilty before innocent. Well, I can see us creeping slowly towards that. Now, w- when it comes to children, I've uh, I've done Section Seven reports around parental alienation, and I found that mother was guilty of parental alienation because I dug deep into the story. Yeah. And a lot of gaps in why is there so much trauma on a child, but the child has never experienced trauma. Um, Mum's crying, the the child, both children are crying, they're they're like teenagers, both children are crying their eyes out, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm like, what do you want to do? That is like, I've never abused my children. Mummy's saying it, it has. I think that the court system... Oh, this is, a, this is a massive topic. So I think that... The, <laughs> it is. It is. I, I think the court, system <laughs> is, the court system is... Uh, it's always going to be shorthanded. It's always going to work on its back foot when dealing with this because, number one, we don't have enough lawyers. Number two, we take too long to deal with family cases. Number three, there are a lot of false stories out there Parental alienation is so complex. The way that parents will turn one child against their their um, against their parent is massively sophisticated. Oh, um, yeah. and so it takes an independent social worker to take the time to dig in. The court's asking a lot of a social worker. Make sense of this, please. Um, I don't think it can do anything else. I just think it's not the court system. I just think that there's too much. There's so much pain out there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: I had yeah. that in my own family, though, Curtis, where yeah. like, you know, when um, dad was in prison and mum was sort of like saying your dad's this, your dad's that. And it, it doesn't matter what your parents have done. They're still your parents when you're kids because you don't have the wisdom or the insight or the you, you just don't have that knowledge. And, and expertise as a child and young person. So your dad's your dad, your mum's your mum, and you love both of them for different reasons, whatever. Mm. And mm. so when mum used to say negative things about dad, it was like a knife in the heart and vice versa. And, and, and as a child, you're literally stuck in the middle playing these adult games and it, you you don't know what, what's going on, but you find yourself treading a line that um, doesn't set you up for secure uh Mm. mental health and secure relationships you know It, it it's it's really um problematic i think on both sides so i think when you're going through a divorce you really do if you if you love your kid you should both be working towards not harmony and you know everything's happy happy but working towards the best interests of the children
1: do you know what again you know, I've worked with a number of families. I remember one particular family. The mum was accusing the parents have separated two children. Mum was accusing Dad of abuse of her and the children. Now I have to put aside his abuse of her to a, to a, to an extent. um but I, I found that there were behaviors of Mum who was c- convincing everybody, every professional that she was abusing and the children were at risk. Um, to find it was the opposite. Um, I found that there are some parents who have been abused by someone, by their their children's father and are like, I will never stop you from seeing your dad and I've never said a bad word against him. Mm. So I think we're dealing with characters, the court, how does the court deal with that? It's, you know, we're talking about parents who haven't gotten over, the loss of that relationship if you give someone four children that's giving your life and then they walk away yeah. you got to get that back so but i don't think it's good that parents no matter for the most part you know acrimony i don't think we should be doing that to our children no. it, you know yeah absolutely mm.
2: Well, we could carry on and talk about this, um, and I'm very aware of the time, and I am the timekeeper, I'm afraid, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so to, so to wrap, this up, wrap this up, there's a very quick question I want to ask you, Curtis, and it's something that we talk about all the time, and that's self-care. So what do you do for your own self-care? Because, you know, you're dealing in environments that are very, very challenging, but to enable you to... To have, um, continue in that area where it's your passion as well. How do you look after yourself? What's important to you?
1: I just want to say this I, I appreciate the question, but you know, I'm going to be honest. All right? Um, as a social worker, you're going to burn out once yes. or yeah. twice or times. And what does that look like? Everyone is different. For me, uh, various symptoms in my body, my mind, I feel pressure in my head. Um, and then when I stop and feel that, it feels actually it's a bit of anxiety because I'm gonna fail. Blah, blah, blah. So I I know and I've accepted, which is very helpful. Self-care is accepting. Actually, I will fall at some point. I don't think that we can consistently work in child protection and not fall or fail or burn out. I just think it's how we manage and how early we respond. Yes. So that's one tip. The other thing is me personally, um, okay. I always see that there's going to be a light over the horizon. There's a set of tasks that are draining all my time. I'm going to not be able to look after myself for the next two weeks. I've got to get this done. That's my reality. But I know when it happens, once I've got that out of the way, I will stop. I will have some relief. And and so that's helpful. The, the other thing I want to say is, um, luckily for social workers, we control our own schedule. You are again, we know professionally responsible for yourself. You owe it to yourself and the profession. Do something, don't just go to work and go home. You've got to yeah. do something. Um, I have three children, luckily, one of them's in uni, so it's really two and a half in terms of response. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I'm still involved in the school run for my youngest is 10, and um, I'm busy. On top of my job right so i would say to people you know um you're gonna there's something you're gonna have to let go of yes and this, you might have to spend less time with your children just to get yourself together they will get it and they will be fine because they're loved the other thing is lastly i look at my schedule and i say right um i'm i'm logging off three four four hours early today that's it i'm going yeah. to the gym I'm going for a walk i'm
2: logging off that's a lifesaver absolutely yeah. thank you so much for your honesty there curtis because yeah. this is something people don't want to talk about you know especially within the profession so thank you because it's something that we're very aware of um we get a lot of support still doing what we're doing we can't not so thank you
1: i, I, just, I, I just want to say one more thing. Um, hearing more about your both your past which is interesting you're both coming from a similar space of this care system and all the stuff that you've been through I've got a good eye and I would never have guessed that you've been through that which is a testament to the work that you're doing for yourselves
2: thank you it's a lot of hard work and I'm very proud to say that eight years ago I went I visited a category d prison prison um, for young offenders young uh, they were young males and it was about business class and one of the lads he had some gumption he kept asking questions and he was very much like mm, what do I want to listen to you for and I said you don't have to and he said "And it's all right for you you've been born with a silver spoon in your mouth and I said to him thank you very much for that I'm going to tell you at the end why I appreciate that the most And what was fantastic was he was asking the questions that all the others wanted to ask. And it didn't matter about his attitude. He wasn't being rude, rude. He was just saying it as it was. And then at the end when I responded and I said, thank you for that compliment because when I was 16, I lived in a hostel on my own. The outcome for me was really low. So when I'm talking to you about the biggest tool you have to have is trust yourself and then others will trust you. It's about looking at yourself. I'm not just saying it. I've done it myself. And we constantly do do work on ourselves. I'm a big believer. So thank you, Curtis, because that is something, you know, Mm. for too long I had Kid From Care written on my forehead. And then once they found out that I was a kid from care, it was like, hmm, the judgment. So I'm proud of who I am and where I've come from. But I'm also proud that it doesn't necessarily have a label on me. Hasn't defined me.
1: Mm. I appreciate it being on here and hearing your stories. And I appreciate you having me on to be really. I'm looking forward to the next one. we'll have
2: you on again. So much to talk about. And Curtis, thank you. So would you like to share your podcast? Because we will add the link anyway at the end. But just so that people can hear and they can come and listen to you as well
1: sure so on all platforms all podcast platforms on all almost all social media platforms linkedin tiktok youtube instagram anything i don't even know uh the social work race um it is set up for primarily social work students and newly qualified social workers but it's for all of us and it's and we talk about social work as we have done today so i appreciate that that time today I just wanted to let
0: you know, Curtis, as well, that Beverly and I, we did a training um, this year, a couple of months ago, Bev, for Social Work Week um, for Kingston, I don't know, Kingston and something. (laughs) um, Area. And um, that that was a real eye-opener. We just said to the social care workers, just ask us anything, you know. We're open and honest, and we used our lived experiences to – raise awareness and to change practice. Yeah. So that's what we do.
1: Yeah, appreciate that. That's, yeah. that's what we can do this together. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. It takes a village to raise a child and we should do that within our community. It isn't just one and person. Protect. Absolutely, to raise and protect. And our mm. children yeah. are our future.
1: Mm.
2: So on that note, we're gonna say thank you very much. We're gonna say goodbye. And if anyone's got any questions, please feel free to contact Breaking the Cycle to Forward at gmail.com or make comments under whatever platform you've seen this on. And if you've got any questions you want Curtis to answer, please send them in and we will be getting Curtis back at another time, even though he's particularly busy. But thank you very much for listening, everybody, or watching <laughs> if you're watching on um, YouTube and look forward to speaking to you another day. Bye-bye. Bye,
0: Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.